fifth chapter. We'll read our scripture for the evening. Matthew 5. <clears throat> and I want to read a little passage that Jesus put so much emphasis on. <clears throat> Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Short but beautiful. Praise God. And you may be seated. I want to just take the, this opportunity to thank you for your prayers. Uh, we, I normally don't have a, a schedule quite as busy as, as it has been in the last few days, but uh, we've just been getting ready for our own planning session here in our church. Our church will have the annual, our annual planning session on no, November 12th and 13th. And because we have the trip to the Caribbean islands, I've had to meet with the department heads pretty much day and night here since conference time, trying to get everything lined up. And then, of course, we have our district planning session. Uh, I will be going to that. We have a banquet tomorrow night. Sister Rutherford had to leave this afternoon to go up. Some of the departments uh, meet first thing in the morning. Well, I come back on Thursday, and then we catch a plane out Friday. Now, the reason why I wanted to explain this, I stated this morning that we were leaving a week from Friday. Now, I don't know why I stated that. I did not know that I had. But I am not responsible for everything I say, all right? <clears throat> but... Uh, we will be going to the islands. I've asked Brother Richie not to schedule things quite so tight, and so he's been working on it. Uh, he wants us to fly down, and and uh, on Friday and Saturday we're going to Grenada, and we are ordaining a young man that we met uh, last year at St. Vincent's with a savory, fine young preacher. Just doing a great work. And then we will be going to Barbados, Dominique, St. Vincent, St. Lucia. Uh, just a good number of, of islands. I'm hoping that uh, he'll be able to cut back on the schedule. These missionaries, I found, they'll just work you to death. There's a few places where you go as a speaker and you just, I mean, you really really do work. We went up to Alaska and I preached 13 times and I think it was four days up there. Uh, plus, I went a day early and Brother Blackshear had planned on working on his building. I did not know that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone early. <clears throat> but I found myself with Brother Blackshear and we put down 90 yards of linoleum in his uh, fellowship hall. And I, I, I literally had two blisters this big around uh, for you who can't not see the pulpit. I'm talking about two inches in diameter. And I just never had blisters on my knees like that. Uh, <clears throat> we didn't have knee pads or something. I don't. I think that's before knee pads came. But <clears throat> boy, oh boy, I'll tell you. Uh, I just thought when I left, I felt like they'd picked me up by the leg and just shook everything in me out. So <clears throat> a little bit later, we went to Canada, preach a camp meeting, and I didn't know when they asked you in Canada, you're supposed to preach morning session, afternoon session, and then the evening. So preached three times there for five days. That was a pretty tough schedule. But uh, this past week, uh, I had a pretty busy schedule. I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, and six other times uh, before Thursday night. <clears throat> so uh, you'd think I'd be all preached out, 
But I, you know, there's something about it. It seems like the more you preach, the more you want to preach. I did start a Bible study the Thursday night after we got back from conference. And I specifically talked about the presence of the Lord or the glory of God, basically the Shekinah of God. We had uh, good attendance, fair attendance, but we divided in classes. And then I've had so many people to come and talk about it. I did state that I would be speaking about four or five times on this subject. I chose the scripture that I chose uh, tonight because on a Sunday night I want to be more positive, more evangelistic. That does not mean that that uh, Thursday night uh, will not be positive, just the setting is a little bit di- different. But uh, I want to uh, go back over some of this, review some of it, and then go into it, because I think this is so very, very, very important. Uh, in the Old Testament, we talked about from 1 Samuel 4, 21, uh, the son of Phinehas that was born as, the, as a battle had taken place between uh, the Jewish people and the Philistines. Uh, his name was called Ichabod because the, tar- the, not the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant was taken, was captured by uh, the Philistines or Philistines. And the word Ichabod means the glory of God has departed or there remaineth more glo- no more glory or the glory is gone. Uh, I talked about the word Shekinah. The word Shekinah does not appear in the King James Version of the Bible, but it is in some translations. Someone asked me, and I, I'm, I'm sorry that I, when they asked me that I didn't know because I'd been doing some studying from from some other uh, versions, but uh, it is a Hebrew word that means the glory of God or God's presence, God's dwelling, or the shining, uh, the word Shekinah, is making reference to the shining of God. Uh, basically, I think we could use the word theophany that a lot of you are acquainted with. A theophany is a visible uh, manifestation of what we would normally consider the invisible. That is, the spirit. Something from the spirit world, the word theophany or theo is used that describes God, God making himself visible, and normally God is invisible in angelic form. I think Moses by the burning bush, this would be considered a theophany because God himself spoke directly from this bush. Uh, the word Shekinah is found in the Pentateuch, or that is the first five books of the Bible. It's also uh, found in the Torah, uh, which is just the, the law of God. The Septuagint. Uh, the Septuagint is the Old Testament, was an Old Testament Greek translation of the Bible that uh, w- was made by about 70 Hebrew scholars before the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, The Septuagint uh, contains uh, the Shekinah as far as uh, the word or the Greek equivalent word. In the King James Version, it's usually just translated the presence of God or the glory of God. Uh, Sometimes it's translated the holiness of God. You will find uh, several places in the Bible in which this is spoken of. I'd like to just go through some of these. I know that this is review for some of you because we talked about this a couple of Thursday nights ago. But in Isaiah the 6th chapter, uh, the Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, With twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. That means with two uh, wings, one set of wings, he covered his face, one set he covered his feet, 
and with the other set he was able to fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now this is what we're talking about when we talk about the Shekinah of God. All right. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, smoke here is it's talking about a cloud-like presence. I'm sure that many of you have seen uh, artist sketches and pictures and such of, of the glory of the Lord. We've seen pictures of the holy city, and you always see the cloud, the smoke. Uh, I have been in some meetings in which the Shekinah became visible. Now let me just explain something. Uh, when we're talking about the presence of God, God is here tonight. Now whether we see His presence or not, He is here. Now God does not always make Himself visible to people on special occasions for particular reasons. And you and I who walk by faith, uh, we, we know we can feel the presence of God, but we don't always see His Shekinah. Uh, but it is there when God is there. All right? <clears throat> when God spoke, the Bible says, the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried. All right? And then <clears throat> Isaiah, seeing this, it had a, Tremendous effect on him. The Bible says that he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. There's something about the holiness of God when man compares himself, that he humbles himself or submits himself immediately. Now, this is the reason why that you'll find that God has used the foolishness, the Bible says, of preaching to save. And the reason why is because that when preaching goes forth and when God begins to talk to people, there's something about the anointing of God that, that rests upon not just the preacher, but upon His Word. And it has an amazing effect upon people. I think you'll also find that, that when uh, people begin to worship, and sometimes people in worship do some uh, what I would consider uncharacteristic uh, things. Uh, uh, here at Calvary Gospel Church, you might see someone leap. You might see someone dance. You might see someone uh, run. Uh, I say you might. In fact, you, you probably in any given service, you'd see all this take place. But one thing that happens is when people are under the anointing, or when the Shekinah of God rests upon them in a, in a, with great heaviness, that is, the presence of God is there, that, that people in their outburst or in their uh, response to this, it, and it is very spontaneous, that they begin to worship the Lord. It's amazing the effect that it has on unbelievers. Uh, some people, I've seen people that would actually get frightened, then they would get upset, by upset I mean mad, and before that they left, they ended up praying and giving their heart to God because all of a sudden there was a soberness that came over them as God began to talk to them. I think uh, when I was a child, I, I remember seeing a couple of preachers preaching with such great anointing at camp meetings. In, in which uh, I was just amazed as I watched. You know, the anointing of God is something that is extremely difficult to explain. Uh, it doesn't always come with loudness, but sometimes it does. Uh, it doesn't always come with great fervor. Sometimes it does. I have seen people get very loud and double their fist up and knock the nose off of somebody's face. Now that's So it's, it's more than that because they... That kind of loudness doesn't have the effect that that uh, an anointed noise would have. 
I've heard others that just spoke in a very soft voice, and while they spoke with with gentleness and softness, there was something about their words that the anointing of God accompanied that. An amazing effect upon people. And uh, it just did a tremendous work in, in the hearts of people. So it's something that is very difficult to explain uh, how God accompanies. And even though people may not have visibly seen the presence of God, uh, they knew that it was there because there was something that was different about it. We've taken and baptized people, and I have seen the Shekinah of God resting upon them. It's almost like uh, you, you look at the person, it's almost like you're seeing an angel. The atmosphere is so sacred and, and so holy. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, we just see this over and over and over again. Moses by the burning bush. When Moses saw this shining light uh, like a fire at the bush, he saw that it was not being consumed. He stopped. The Lord spoke directly from the bush and told Moses that he should take off his shoes because the ground upon which, which he stood was holy. In other words, the Shekinah of God was there. The Shekinah made uh, the presence, the the place holy. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, you will find that God's glory, His presence, His Shekinah, uh, visited people. Visited people to the point that, that they could visibly see it. Moses came down from the mountain and had the commandments of God in his hand. The Shekinah of God rested upon his face. He veiled his face because him being in the presence of God, there was such great brightness that uh, the people couldn't even look upon him. That's the effect that God's presence had upon uh, upon Moses. Uh, you will find that when... The children of Israel left Egyptian bondage and they were in the wilderness that the presence of God was manifest in the day hours by cloud and at night by pillar of fire. It was the presence of God that was with them. Upon one occasion God spoke out from Mount Sinai with a voice of thunderings and the Shekinah, the presence of God, was there. You will also find that uh, in, in the Bible that uh, when it speaks of the glory, the presence of God, that uh, when God's name is mentioned, that the, the same effect is there. Uh, the Shekinah of God accompanies His name. Now, I have this belief, and I stated this uh, in the first lesson that I gave, that when Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, the Bible says the Lord talked to them in the cool of the day. These people were as perfect as they could be, not having sinned. And when God made them, the Bible says they were both naked and they were not ashamed. And the, the amazing thing is that when we think of them being naked, we think of them without clothing, but... I believe that they were clothed with robes of righteousness or with the Shekinah of God. And it was not until after that, uh, their sin rather, that they lost this glory. They lost the presence of God. They lost the Shekinah. The Bible says then their eyes were opened to know the difference between good and bad or good and evil, and then they realized that they were naked and they were then ashamed. Uh, you know, if you look in the in the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter, and we've already gone through this, but uh, I just still won't feel that we need to just touch on it. Uh, the Bible speaks of the Lord, speaks of the Lord and the the, the 24 elders, the four and twenty elders, verse three, and again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And you go on down and you see then the bride of Christ and the marriage of the Lamb. 
to the bride, and that's talking about the Lord, to uh, the church. Let us be glad, verse 7, and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now notice this. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. All right. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. All right. Now, you notice what they were wearing. They were wearing white robes, clean and white. Uh, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah, and of course you can read this uh, in three of the Gospels, the Bible tells us, uh, Mark 9, verse 3, the Bible says that, that his, his, their garments were shining and white. In other words, it, it was like they were illuminated. It's like the light was coming out from the inside and shining right through. Uh, I forget which gospel it is. I, I read this in our Bible study. It spoke of the garments being so white that no fuller soap was able to, 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 to change it. In other words, make it whiter. It was pure. It was, it was totally holy and righteous. Luke 24, and here's a scripture that we've not considered. It might just be good for you to take a look at this. And In Luke 24, uh, Jesus is talking about uh, <clears throat> the saints of Almighty God. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me, I, I, I'm not in the right to... We'll go ahead and cover this in Luke 24, verse, verse 4. This is at the resurrection of Jesus... The Bible says they found the tomb empty, the sepulcher stone had been rolled away, and there were two men that stood by in shining garments. These were uh, angels standing there with, uh, with uh, angelic-type garments on. So you can see that uh, uh, those who have been in the presence of God are affected by, they're totally affected by, their association with God. Uh, even after such a time that, that they are not in the presence of God. That is, you know, God is everywhere. Uh, we know that. He's omnipresent. But uh, in the Old Testament, you find evidence of Him being, uh, what should I say, the concentration of His Spirit being heavier in some areas than in the other other areas. Now, here's a scripture I was going to make reference to. I had planned on Matthew 13, verse 43. Uh, this is talking about the, the Son of Man when He comes, and then, of course, the evil people being cast into uh, the lake of fire where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 43, the Bible says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who have the ears to hear, let him hear. That the righteous will actually shine forth as the sun. Uh, people who go into the presence of God. When the tabernacle was first dedicated, the Bible says the presence of God came down like a, a cloud or a smoke. And God's Shekinah rested in that place. It was such a beautiful occasion when the temple was built. Same thing happened so that the priests could not even minister any longer. I have this feeling that, that the, the fire of God that came out of heaven and consumed the sacrifice was the presence of God that came down and, and uh, put His approval upon the sacrifices that uh, were being offered there. Of course... Uh, <clears throat> The 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament, we have no uh, evidence of the Shekinah of God resting any place on the face of the earth. And then all of a sudden, the Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
that wise men saw the star in the east. I'm convinced that this wasn't just a natural star, but this was the Shekinah of God. They followed that. They followed to Jerusalem. It went to Jerusalem, and when the wise men went in, they asked this question to Herod and the scribes that were there. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And, of course, Herod inquired about the whereabouts of the birth of Jesus, and according to Scripture, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And the Bible tells us the star then, or the shining bright light, left. And it went to Bethlehem, and the Bible says it rested over the place where the young child abode. In other words, this was evidence to those wise men that the Shekinah had returned back uh, to the household of David. Now, Jesus Christ, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, you see the Shekinah of God resting upon Moses and Elijah and upon Jesus Christ. His garments were shining. The the angels that... uh, proclaimed his resurrection. They were in shining garments. And then, of course, Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens after his resurrection. And then we see on the day of Pentecost that the Bible says, and this is the birth of the New Testament church, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Bible says, there appeared unto them clothing tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. Now, I, I feel this was the Shekinah of God coming back to the earth, resting upon the true children of God. I really believe that clothing tongues like as a fire rest upon each individual that receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, it is not always visible. It never was always visible. But it was there. God, at the birth of the New Testament church, allowed those people to see the Shekinah of God coming back. Now, we are the light of the world. And that simply means that God's presence that comes and visits every child of God, that's what we're talking about. Uh <clears throat> And the thing uh, that we should try our best to be, and that is so transparent that people can see the glory of God resting upon us. I personally believe the guidelines of modesty and such that's proclaimed in the New Testament is there simply because that there should be nothing that would distract from the presence of Almighty God, that God Shekinah should be able to, to be seen by a world that's lost, a world that's dying, a world that does not know God. Now, it it is just uh, amazing to me of the number of stories that I've heard throughout the years. A couple of those stories stick in my mind. Uh, One, I've heard Brother Kilgore tell this upon several different occasions, but I remember him telling about his father, and he happened to be there. They had a tent meeting in one city in Oklahoma in the 1920s. And uh, this was after the turn of the century. And there are many, many stories about uh, the Shekinah of God appearing upon groups of people and in assemblies, especially right after Azusa Street or about that time, after the turn of the century, this century. Uh, But Brother Kilgore said that many people saw... Uh, great balls of fire come out of heaven and rest upon this this uh, tent. People followed that, went there, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Many people were delivered from bondage and sin. Many people were set free. People were healed. Uh, people that were crippled, never walked before in their life, got up and walked. One of the greatest revivals of, in this century took place there in a little town in Oklahoma by C.P. Kilgore, or by his preaching. Brother Jack Cunningham told a story at conference uh, about one of his 
extension works and how the Spirit of the Lord came down. We were having such great growth in this extension work, and the power of God came down, and people were worshiping, just like we were worshiping God tonight. People worshiped to the point they forgot about themselves, and they let the glory of the Lord come down, and God's Holy Spirit and presence was so powerfully strong. Neighbors then looking out saw this fire on the building. Called the fire department. Right while these people were worshiping, in came firemen all dressed up ready to fight the fire. Pulling hoses. Sirens screaming out in the streets and everything. They came in and here these people worshiping God. And uh, now this, I'm talking about something that happened the early part of this year. We're not talking about something of yesteryear. We're not talking about a burning bush in, in, in a wilderness. We're not talking about a cloud over a tabernacle. We're not talking about clothing tongues like as a fire 2,000 years ago in the upper room in Jerusalem. We're talking about something that happened this year. And so when the firemen came in, they said, well, there's no fire here. And they checked, and, and the neighbors came out, came out in the streets. Some came over and said, oh, yes, that building was on fire. We saw it with our eyes. Several people testified. We saw it. We know. Well, there's no smell of smoke. There's nothing here. Uh, what happened? It was the Shekinah of God. I'm, I'm convinced of that. You know, I, I really believe, see, if, 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 if we could just in our worship services... You know, the thing that is, is important is that you glorify God and magnify God. So much of our worship is designed, quite frankly, uh, by individuals. In other words, whenever I say divine, designed by individuals, our uh, paramount uh, purpose or whatever is to... We want worship to make us feel good. God make us feel good. It's not really designed... So much to glorify God and magnify God as much as this. What do I get out of this? I personally think that our worship service would go into a different dimension if we pretty much forget about ourselves and, and start thinking about God and start worshiping God. Now please understand if you do that, you're going to get what you need out of it. But uh, if we do that, I think, I think we'd see a greater... Uh, concentration of God's presence. You know, I, t- I tell people, you know, if you if you really want to feel God, get up on the front of the church. I know that everybody can't get up here around the front, and I I talk about this in a joking way, but but there are areas in which uh, the presence of God you can feel to a greater degree. You may say, "Oh, now explain that." Well, if there's a whole lot of activity, gum chewing, and paper writing, and and this type of thing, kids playing and everything, you're not going to feel God the way that you would feel God. Now, I'm not going to say that God's not there just as powerfully as He is, uh, you know, but I am saying that you're not going to feel it because the slightest distraction. You read the story of the temple. Read the story of the tabernacle. These people were 100% focused in. Look on the day of Pentecost. They were all doing what? They were all in one mind, in one accord, in one place. In other words, here's a group of people, 120 of them, every last one of them, one place, doing the same thing. They all had their mind on the same thing. In other words, they were wanting God. They were wanting the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus told them to go there and tarry until you be endued with power from on high. And they wanted, Behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you. And they were waiting for this promise. They were expecting this promise. They didn't know what hour it was going to come, but they knew that it was going to come. And so here, in the presence of God, they gave themselves, and the Spirit of the Lord came down upon them. After they had been there for, for around 40 days or so. I say 40 days, 10 days. Jesus was on the earth 40 days, and then His ascension took place. You know, I, I really wish that somehow that, that we could have a greater concentration, uh, you know, that people would just really get their mind on God. You know, 
So much of what we do, we like to come and see, show off how we're dressed or show off this, that, and the other or just a social thing. We like to be with friends. I know that fellowship is an important function of the church. There's no doubt about it. But I'll tell you what, why we're here, the reason why we're here is to magnify God and glorify God. And I think if we keep that purpose in mind, that fellowship is, is certainly secondary to our fellowship with God. And this is especially true when you think of people who walk in these doors. Some of them don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't know how to relate to Him. They don't know anything about Him. There are a lot of lonely people in the world that have needs. Frustrated people. People that live with such great uh, areas of, of concern in their life. Anxiety just all over them. Don't we owe it to God who gave His life on Calvary's cross and shed His blood? Don't we owe it to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to get our mind on Him and worship Him? Can't we discipline ourselves in His presence to just think of Him and Him alone? I believe that Jesus is right here in this place. Praise God. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I'll tell you what started me thinking of this. Two years ago, Brother Grisham preached our district conference. And he talked about the old days in which people worshipped God until the glory came down. And I... I remember some of those old days. Uh, I remember how people just stood and sung. And, or, and they sung and they sung and they sung and they sung and they sung. And I meant the Spirit of the Lord would come down. It had an effect on me as a child. And they would just sing and sing and sing and sing and sing. And it was almost like nothing was really planned or orchestrated. That They just sung until... Till the presence of God, the sweet presence of God came down. I haven't been in many church services in which this has happened, but I've been in some church services in which we were singing and almost 100% of the people just started singing in an unknown tongue. Nobody told them they're supposed to do it. Nobody said you have to do it. Nobody encouraged anybody to do it. They just did it. Remember one church service I was in in which... The Spirit of the Lord came down. A brother had a very special burden. We began to pray for him. He was weeping and crying. When he came to church, he had gone through so many heavy things. And God just gave him the spirit of laughter. And he began to laugh. And, and this spirit got on everyone, including myself. And I mean, it's something you could not control. We, just, we, were, just, we were so intense when I maybe I shouldn't use the word intense because you think of being uptight but we were just so focused let God have his way let the glory of the Lord come let the presence of God come and uh, we began to pray and seek God and all of a sudden this brother the load just lifted and he started laughing and several people started laughing I started laughing and we could not stop there was nothing funny, you know, uh, nothing had happened. We just we just laughed. And, I mean, if you can feature, now our church was considerably smaller than this church, but if you can feature maybe one-fourth of this church, everyone just bust out laughing. I mean, just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Did you know what we did? We laughed until we went home. I got in a car laughing. Go down the street laughing. <laughs> Brother Rich said, what about the offering? God loves a cheerful, hilarious giver. <clears throat> we had already taken the offering to my... But here we are, we're just, we're just laughing. Just, and the glory of God comes down. And I'm going to tell you something. Now you think, well, people, if people came into your presence, they think you're crazy. They thought that on the day of Pentecost when the fire came down. They thought that on the day... They said, the Bible says some mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But they were drunk. I thought, what in the world happened? And all of a sudden, a soberness came over the congregation as God's presence made itself known to these people. 
Now, I think when you look at the tremendous price that these people paid for the Shekinah of God to return back to the household of Israel, ten days of prayer and fasting. I don't know what people did about their jobs. I have no idea. I don't know. You know, I, I just got to tell you, you know, what if all of a sudden God impressed upon how many, I don't know, we have probably have more than 120 here, maybe considerably more, but what if all of a sudden we said, we're going to stay here 10 days. Think about the tremendous sacrifice, the money that's lost. You think about that. What are you going to pay your bills with? Don't you think that as Americans, you know, our paramount concern is the cares of this life. We're so deceived by riches. Now, I'm not suggesting we stay here for ten days and just say, why not, Brother Grant? Well, the Lord told them to do that. I think God does speak. See, God can pull rank on me anytime He wants to pull rank on me because He's God. But I'll say this, if God told us to do that, we ought to be willing to do it. Because you have to understand the end results will certainly more than justify the sacrifice made. I've asked myself many times, do I want another Pentecost? Stay locked up in a building just worshiping God? And I get thinking, well, wait a minute, that's a negative way. Worshiping God is fun. I mean, if I'm going to the holy city and I wear these, sh- these shining garments and and for millions of years, I'm going to praise God and magnify God. And yet, when I come in the house of God, I don't even want to lift my hands. I probably never will get there. Somebody said, come on. Yeah, come on. Let's go. Isn't that true? I probably wouldn't get there. Because if I don't enjoy doing this, and this is just a little sample of what we're going to do when we get there, I'd just kind of be a misfit, wouldn't I? But now... <clears throat> Brother Thomas, you think about the end results of this ten days. Three thousand souls in just a matter of hours receive the baptism of the holiest. Think about that. Three thousand souls. My. My, my. Now, in the Old Testament, you know... It, it seemed like just a small thing, and I, I, just, I, I just get, I don't know, there's just something about when I, I see people that, you know, I've had people accuse me of being picky. Oh, you're picky. You know, majoring on minors. But if you, all I have to, to go by is the Bible. And, and to me, it was... It would seem like such a small thing that caused uh, the, the ark to be lost. Why would God not fight the battle for the Jewish people? Why would He allow the enemy, the Philistines, to prevail over? Why did God not visit uh, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas? All they were doing is they were supposed to take this two-pronged fork and when the Shekinah of God came down, the fire of God came out of heaven and, and rested upon the, the sacrifice, well, they were just supposed to take this two-pronged fork and strike it in the shoulder with the sacrifice and pull forth the flesh and the flesh that they pulled forth was their daily portion. All they decided to do is we, we'll just take a knife and cut off what we want. It seems like, you know, that it's a little bit insignificant, but it wasn't that way with God. I remember addressing this one time. We were talking about the presence of the Lord, and the power of God came down, and people began to worship. Now, it was on Thursday night, unbeknowings to the teachers in the children's church, they just let the children out. The kids came out of the doors thinking church was over and they were happy and they were laughing and lighthearted and it was just like whew, the Spirit of the Lord left. 
I meant, parent, go get your child. What was it? It was the refocusing of one's attention away from God to the things of this earth. The Spirit of God just, just left. And here we were so much enjoying the presence of God. You know, I, I just almost wear this Scripture out. 2 Corinthians 7. Talks about godly sorrow. Worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Verse 11. For behold this selfsame thing, that you sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. True repentance brings a carefulness to the individual. I'm amazed sometimes at the questions some new converts can ask. But they come up and with such great sincerity they ask questions about the do's and don'ts. Should I do this and should I? You know, normally you'd think they wouldn't even have their mind on that. But why? Because they're, in, they're still in this frame of repentance. And it has created this carefulness. I don't want to do anything to lose what I have. This feeling that I have, I don't want any, I don't want to do it. Well, don't most of you remember when you were first filled with the Holy Ghost? My, I mean, you just, every little thing, I mean, you just, if I can just please God, if, if I can just keep myself focused in on God, I've heard people say, well, that's the way it is when you're first filled with the Holy Ghost. After a few days, you'll come down off of cloud nine. And you'll hit the earth and things will be normal again. Well, <clears throat> you don't have to tell new converts that. It'll get normal quick enough. Let them enjoy it. Let them enjoy the presence of the Lord. Reminded of a story that one pastor recently told me. In fact, just before General Conference, actually the week of before General Conference, I called, I didn't call, pardon me, this pastor called me and he's talking to me and said, Brother Grant, we've been having such great revival. But he said, we have this brother, he's just a little, he's a tinge negative. That's the way he put it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he's just a great man, but he's just negative. The power of the Lord was falling and people were worshiping the glory of God was so much in the place. Several people had already been filled with the Holy Ghost. This brother came up and sat down by him and called his name. He said, you know, brother, this can't go on. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, you can't, we, we just can't keep having services this good. It just can't go on. What he was saying is that, you know, something this good will only last just for a short period of time. This, It's just... It's unbelievable to think that we can keep an atmosphere like this. This pastor looked at him and smiled and said, Well, don't mention it. Let's just enjoy it right now. To see some dying sinner straight off the street walk into your assembly with just such a complex life. And see that person come and kneel before God and find true deliverance. Take them to the baptismal tank and when the name of the Lord. This is the reason why I think the Shekinah of God rests so much in baptism because the name of God is invoked upon the believer. The temple that was erected had all of these columns. Guess what was on top of the column? Nobody could see. But the Bible says God's name was there. The Shekinah of God came down. And when we say, I now baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, the Bible says we put on Christ in baptism. We call His name. We wear His name. You know, when it says we put on Christ in baptism in Galatians 3.27, it's making reference to garments. Just as you would put this coat on in baptism, we, we clothe ourselves with the Shekinah, the righteousness, the robes, the pure white shining robes of righteousness. 
than to think that you can lose such sacredness just by being careless. Just, ah, that doesn't mean much. Ah, that pastor's picky. You know what I say to people tell me I'm picky? I say, I sure am. I really am picky. I don't want to lose what I feel. I don't want to lose the sacredness of what I feel in God. Let me tell you something. All you have to do, you just get careless with your living. And there have been times in which I have done this. Then I come in. It takes all service long for me to refocus myself. While everybody's danced in the Spirit and felt God and, and left, I haven't felt a thing yet. I know what it's like. I've been there. Most of you have been there. You get a little bit adverse with someone and crossed up with someone and see how it affects your thinking. Then come in the house of God and you think God's presence is going to be felt, His Shekinah is going to be there. You say, oh. All I did was I was just a little careless. That's all I did. Well, i tell you what. I've lived long enough to know this. That I had rather be a fanatic. And I'd rather be narrow-minded than be so open-minded my brains fall out. Really. And this, this is what's going on in religious circles. They're, oh, you need to be open-minded. Yeah. So open-minded, your brains fall out? Now, I know that there's some people that are so narrow-minded, they could fall on a single pin and poke both eyeballs out. I know, I know there's some people that are that way. I'm not talking about that. And, and really, that, all, all that's wrong with them, they have just a good case of hard-headedness. I, I know all that. But don't we want to be careful not to lose the presence of God? That this is so valuable, this is so precious, this is so sacred, it's so holy. My, never, never, never want to lose it. Always want to be in tune with God. Now, Here's something I want to talk about in my strange fire. In Numbers, the third chapter, verse 4, and you turn back there. Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And they had no children. Eleazar... Ithamar ministered in the priest's office in the sight of Aaron, their father. A strange fire was fire that was kindled by the hands of men that did not come from above. That's basically what it's talking about. In other words, here's the sacrifice, here's the altar, so we're going to pray. Guess what happened when they prayed? Nothing happened at all. Now the Lord had made it plain that if the sacrifice was acceptable, the heart was right, the fire of God would fall from heaven. But what are you going to do if it doesn't fall from heaven? Well, that simply means then that I'm going to have to re-examine my heart and also my motives because I'm supposed to bring a sacrifice without blemish. So basically, you boil it down to this. They just weren't careful enough. But when the fire did not come from God, these two men, and the Bible speaks of them as being evil men, guess what they did? They said, well, we can, there's fire all over the place here. We can can get this thing going. And that's what it's making reference to when it's talking about strange fire. You know, I, I like to think of it like this. There is, I've preached enough in my lifetime 
that I could if I, if, I, if I desired to, if my motives were elsewhere and my burden was elsewhere, I could stand up, I could open this Bible, I could preach messages that most of you have not heard. Things that I studied in Bible school. Things I've heard other people preach. And most men who have been behind the pulpit for any length of time can do the same. You can leave and say, well, that was a mighty fine message. And I can leave and say, well, people talked about it and bragged about it. I guess everything's all right. But the problem is that after a while there's nothing happening. Nobody's getting saved. So where did the fire come from? Certainly not from above. Human talents and human abilities are not enough to save a dying world. They're not. They're not enough to forgive sin. You can bring people down here and pray with them and convince them they need to be baptized and take and baptize them in Jesus' name. But you have to remember this, even though there's one act for the man, that's repentance, there's one act for the church, that's baptism, only God can put His approval upon a man's life. I can't fill anyone with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And basically what I'm saying is this, I need the fire of God resting upon my ministry. You're doing Christianity a gross disservice when you take that Bible study chart in your arms and take it into someone's house if you have not prayed and sought God. If the anointing of the Holy Ghost, if the presence of God doesn't go with you. Take Jesus into the home. Remember, I titled this, Ye are the light of the world. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about God's Shekinah resting upon the church. The Spirit of Almighty God moving upon human hearts to the point that beyond a shadow of a doubt people are convinced that there is a God, there is a Messiah, there is a Lord, and He's soon to return for His people. They need to feel that. And when you minister, they need to feel your burden, feel your heartbeat, and feel the presence of God. Talked to a woman one time, had been in church all of her life. She said, I don't think I've ever felt the presence of God. I said, Listen, let's just keep talking about this and you will feel it. And all of a sudden, she did like this. I said, What happened? She said, I don't know. And all of a, she looked at her arm. You could see these goosebumps all over her arm. She said, Oh my. I said, That's the Spirit of the Lord. I was talking about you feeling. She said, This is the first time in my life I've ever talked about Jesus Christ and felt his presence. She could feel the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Church after church after church, service after service after service. I'm talking about a lady in her middle age, ages or years. And she's never felt the presence of God. Well, we've heard songs of Calvary being sung. Where did the fire come from? Human abilities are strange and foreign to the Spirit of God. This is the reason why 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 are so beautiful. Because I think if you read all of this, you've got to draw the conclusion that the whole purpose of spiritual gifts is to project Jesus Christ in the forefront and leave the man in the background unseen. So our motive should be a motive of love and understanding. And the purpose is to edify the body. It was never designed to make me feel good. Never designed to make you feel good. It's designed to glorify God. Strange fire. No glory of God is seen. When it's just human abilities and talents. I've heard some beautiful singing in my life. Yep. 
That's nice. Didn't move me though. And all of a sudden, someone who doesn't have a very good voice, but someone who's full of purpose and full of meaning. I'm not. I'm not saying this, uh, Brother Jeff and Sister Linda, because I don't think you're good singers, but. They were in here practicing yesterday, and there was such sincerity in their, what they were doing at their baby's dedication. They got up this morning and sung. Now, they're not people that are accustomed to this, but with sincere hearts, they sung this song and dedicated their child, and the presence of God came down. The Spirit of Almighty God was present. Isn't that what we're at? Isn't that what we want? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And to think that the glory of God departed simply because people were not careful. Here's a scripture that I want to read closing tonight. In 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. I think I read this this, uh, scripture last Sunday morning. The emphasis is going to be a little different. First Corinthians one twenty six. For we see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. I don't know about you, but when I consider my abilities, my talents. You know, when I was filled with the Holy Ghost, I was so shy I couldn't even stand before people. In fact, I wouldn't even go to a family reunion. I didn't even want to face my relatives. Of course, a lot of them didn't want to face me either for other reasons. But God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. The things that are not. See, when God found us, we weren't much. In the Old Testament, it talks about God being able to diminish people down to less than nothing. Now, that's hard for me to understand, less less than nothing. That's like a zero with a rim rubbed out. I meant nothing. That's what we were. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. This is the reason why in Galatians 5, when it speaks of the works of the flesh, murder, envy, lust, lasciviousness, and they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Because you see, God cannot receive glory if you are receiving glory. See? The works of the flesh dim the Shekinah of God. That's what happens. And it will diminish the Shekinah of God to the point that people don't even recognize that you are a Christian. Praise God that no flesh should glory in His presence. No flesh and glory in His presence. But God will receive glory. Let your light so shine before men. Can that light shine if you're full of the works of the flesh? I think not. Can that light shine if there's no carefulness in your Christian experience? I think not. Can that light shine if you're reckless in your daily activities? I think not. Can that light shine if you're not focused in with your mind on God? I think not. 
But when your light is shining, you're like a city that's set on a hill. Praise God. We want you to stand. Oh. My Jesus, Lord, I feel the presence of God in this place. No anointing on your life. You can have fresh anointing tonight if you'll refocus. If you're not careful with your activities, you can be careful if you'll repent. Nothing wrong with talking about repentance, is there? Because that's what brings carefulness into an individual's life. And I want you right now, I want you to stop thinking about everything. And I want you to focus in on Jesus. Would you do that right now? Just you and Jesus now. Focus in on Him. Our praise singers will sing. And as you're focusing on the Lord, if you want to come down to the front and pray, and you need somebody to pray with you, step right out and come on right now. Resubmit your life to Him. And honor to Jesus. Glory.